Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning. Doing all right? Good? All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them your first bike. What was your first bicycle? Go. Wow, that was a great question. You guys are into it. Last night, they almost didn't speak at all, but it skews a lot older. I don't think they could remember the last night. I'm not sure. Right? Anybody have anything really cool, like a really cool bike? Anybody? Hey, what? Oh, something tricycle, I heard. What kind? Oh, a radio flyer. I thought that was only wagons. Isn't that a wagon too or no? Am I confused about that? All right, all right. So a guy last year said he had a, a Schwinn banana seat with a, I think they call them sissy bars. Like they're really tall and right. Ooh, all the boomers are going, ooh, and all the everybody else is going, what is that? Okay. I don't think there was another, what? Pink probably knowing you. Pink, purple tassels. Anyway. It's my assistant. I love to give her grief. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there was ever a cooler bike invented than those. The banana seat. My brother had one. It was blue, and it had a shifter. So instead of a shifter up here, it shifted down here. I, I still don't like him because of that. I don't, my parents liked him better, I think. My, my first bike, my first bike, so my dad was a pastor of a, a, a little church in a little town across the river from St. Louis on the Illinois side, and we were poor. We lived in a house that the church owned next to it, and it was just struggling church, and, and uh, we couldn't afford a bike. And so um, when it came time for me to learn to ride a bike, uh, one of the teenagers that attended the church went to the, uh, the junkyard, the town dump. We don't have those anymore, uh, but in this little town, they had a dump where they took all the trash, and he just started sorting through all the stuff there, and he found enough, uh, and, he's, and he obviously knew how to do mechanicals. He built me a bike. I still remember the bike. It was white, and it, and it was you know, single speed. It didn't have speeds or anything, uh, and it had a brake, uh, but the brake wasn't really, you couldn't ease onto the brake. The brake was kind of on and off. You know what I'm saying? So if you're going really fast and you need to slow down, you usually slow down by going over the handlebars because the brake not only went on, it stuck. And, and you couldn't get it unstuck. I remember uh, several times going over the handlebars of that thing. One time I remember hitting a rock right here in the gravel parking lot right there. I'm laying there. I remember something red on my sleeve. It, it was like, thanks for the bike. But anyway, uh, so that was my first bike. The reason I want to talk about that is because not because bikes are important. Childhood is important. And I hope, and, and this may not be true for some of you, and I, I'm sorry, uh, I hope that associated with your, even laying in the parking lot with the, I still have a very warm, positive sensation when I think about childhood, right? I, childhood is, I, who knew it was going to be the best time of my life? No, I'm kidding. It's kind of kidding. Anyway, so what's interesting about that is that I hope that all of us associate that with childhood. But what we didn't think about the, at the time was that there were some adults just really pedaling hard underwater to keep that childhood 
peaceful and quiet and secure and wonderful for us. There were two parents who more often than not probably didn't know what they were doing. Uh, there may have been times where they didn't know where the next meal was coming from. They were re- that, that parenting thing is, is a big deal. It's a big deal for all of us. And so we're in this series, and it's called uh, uh, Uncommon Sense. What should be common sense seems to have become uncommon. And so today I'm going I'm to share a whole bunch of stuff you already know. I'm just going to re- review a bunch of stuff you know, reinforce, encourage you to live it out if you're a parent. And, uh, and, and we're taking this series from the book of Proverbs, which is uh, 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 written really very much kind of like a father to a child. Um, and just, just common sense, wisdom, how life is best lived. And I think it's, uh, and it comes from the heart of God, and I think it's helpful to us. So let me begin with Proverbs 22, 6, and I'll read it in the King James in a moment, which is how I learned it. No, I wasn't around then, but still. Um, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Parents for ages have claimed this verse. Now, it is not a promise from God. It is a wisdom. In other words, if you do this, this is probably the outcome. And, uh, but <clears throat> as we look at it, I just want us to notice something. There's all kinds of things to talk about here, and I'll break this verse down in a moment. But I want you to look at one word, go. If you're a parent, you need to understand what the, the goal, what the outcome, beginning with the end in mind, the word Go. The point of raising children is at some point they will go. Not live forever in your basement, leeching off of you, eating your food, living under your insurance. They're to go. Your job is to get them to move, right? So from the very, when you bring a little tiny baby home, your job is to begin to prepare them to go. And Genesis talks about it. Man shall leave his parents and cleave to his wife, leave and cleave. You want him to leave and cleave, okay? And, and, the, and I understand economic, I get all that stuff. But the goal is at some point, they will leave. And you need to prepare them for that. And so you begin with the end in mind. Now, another goal, surprisingly enough, is while they are with you, and I think even beyond that time after they leave, is you are to love and delight in your children. You are to enjoy your children. Listen to this, this is interesting. My son do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. It's interesting things. Discipline is a part of love. We'll talk about that in a moment. I think what's interesting is, is that our relationship to our children is, is parallel to or, or imitative of our relationship with God. You think, okay, God, my heavenly father, think about this. God, my heavenly father, not only disciplines me, Lord knows I deserve it, literally, but he delights in me. See, for a lot of my, my and I still feel this way, so I, God puts up with me. I don't know how, but it's like, can, can you just see God going, Doyle, again with this, really, what, right? But it says in scripture, he doesn't just put up with me, he delights in me. If you have children and you're not delighting in them, you need to work on it. You need to realize that they are gifts from God and that you're to enjoy them. I would challenge you, if you have children in your home, to just stop on a regular basis and just look at them. It may have to be when they're asleep. I understand. But look at them and just realize this child is a gift from God. 
and find a way to delight in that child. Now, moms, I know you got toddlers. You're going, delight is the last thing. But the reality is, in my life, raising kids, I enjoyed each stage, each successful stage, even more than the one before. Because I saw more and more of God's handiwork in them. I saw more and more of God's work in growing them and developing them. I could see more and more who they were becoming. And it was a reminder of God's goodness. If God delights in me, I'm going to do my best to delight in them. Yes, it's a duty. It's a task. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do next to staying married. <laughs> is that too honest? Sorry. Did it, did it, that slipped out. The reality is we are to delight. It is to be a delight. So the goal is to get them to go, but in the meantime, delight in them. And then the other goal is to be grandparents. Oh, you think I made that up? You think that's just me? Listen, in 17.6, um, Proverbs, children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. See, you hear all these grandparents going, oh, my grandkids are great. And you're going, grandparents are so weird. We are biblically weird. <laughs> See, the point, the, only, the payoff for having kids and doing all the hard work we're going to talk about today is someday you get grandkids. And grandkids are great. You know why? Because there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Well, I mean, I don't have to see anything wrong with them. It's not my responsibility. I sure them up, send them home. They misbehave. That's dad's, mom's problem. That's not my problem. It's great. It's unbelievable. The reality is the Bible says, so now listen to this. Whether our society over caters and panders to our children or underestimates their value, as in many cultures, the Bible says that Children properly raised, this is where we're going to be, begin and where we're going to end today. Children properly raised to love God and love their parents, to be responsible, are an incredible gift and a joy. And that's the reality. And if your kids turn out well, then you get to have grandkids. And whether they turn out well or not is not your problem. You just get to spoil them. And it's great. The reality is, is that children are not a bother. They are not just something... They are a gift and they are kind of a part of the point of life to know God, to love someone, and to have kids. I don't care how much money you make. If you don't have that kind of joy in your life, you're missing out. I know some people I understand aren't intended to be here and won't have kids. If that's your calling, I understand. But if you have tried to replace that with a career or with fame or with money, you're missing out. And um, I think people are finding there's a lot of a lot of talk about that in secular circles these days among certain people. So uh, that's kind of the goal. The methodology is, is again, in that passage in um, Proverbs 22. I'll read it from the King James because that's how I learned it, and I really like it. Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go, and when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. In other words, your job is to not only get them to go, but get them to go the right direction. There's a whole lot involved in here, but let me just start with the, with the train up. The first part of that is teaching. We are to teach children. Um, we need to teach them something more than your opinion. We need to teach them something that stood the test of time, okay? So all kinds of people, oh, you should do this for your kids, you should do this for your kids, whatever, whatever, whatever. Why don't you listen to somebody, and their words that have been around for a really long time, and it's proven. We need to not only teach our kids what we think, let's teach them what God thinks. That's even better, okay? So we begin with this idea of teaching and then shaping. 
in our teaching meeting this week, one of the staff quoted, and I don't know who they were quoting, but it was a great quote. Identities and values are formed at the dinner table. Identities and values are formed at the dinner table. Do you think there is anybody else in the world trying to form the identity of and the value of your children? <laughs> yes. Do you think they're better at that than you? See, here's the thing about kids. They don't belong to the government. They don't belong to the schools. They don't belong to the neighbors. They certainly don't belong to the advertisers. Some of you guys are getting political. You want to have great kids? You want to have great kids or not? It's your responsibility. God entrusted you. We'll do a baby dedication on Mother's Day. You know what we're saying? We're saying, God, thank you for giving these kids to these families. Now we offer them back to you for your provision, your protection, but, and for wisdom and discernment for the parents because you've entrusted the parents with the raising of the children. Hey, I, I, I don't care how hard you're working on your school curriculum. If it's not based in scripture, then don't teach my kids your ethics and your morals because I know what is right. I don't need your definition of what is right. I know what is right. And I will determine, I said in a, I shouldn't talk about this. 30 years ago, I sat in a room with some, no, no, because somebody's going to take it wrong. Get over it, okay? Just take it from the heart of a grandparent who loves his grandkids, okay? I sat in a room a bunch of school people. And, and by the way, we have great teachers that attend our church. We have great principals. I'm not, I'm not upset with you. But I think there is an agenda to instill an identity and a value system in our children that is destructive. It's not just biblically wrong. It is destructive. 30 years ago, I sat and I said, here's how we're going to teach your children about their sexuality. And I said, no. You have no business teaching my kids what is right and wrong. I will teach them what is right and wrong. And I alone in that room said that. Nobody agreed with me. We're 30 years down the road. I was right. I was absolutely right. Because the reality is God's already determined what's right and wrong. I don't need your right. I don't need your truth. I have God's truth. And I will instill that in my children. And I am responsible for that. I do not want advertisers instilling values and identity in my children. I, I, I don't care if you have a master's degree in early childhood development. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And we need to own that as parents. We need to own it in love. It's our responsibility. We need to own that. Not just, not just because of religion, because the outcome of their life depends on it. I think, okay, this one's definitely not in the notes. I've done this three times now. I'm probably a little, you know, punch drunk on this deal, but I think we have a terrible harvest coming and has already begun. And I think we as Christians need to maybe do less finger pointing and more loving, but we need to take care of home, take care of business at home first. And to show that there is a different way to be a family, to live out God ordained units of the family. It is the most powerful thing in the world is God honoring families. And we need to take it serious. It's going to get worse. Hang on. Here we go. Who is training up your children? Who is teaching your children about right and wrong? Is it you? Is it the culture they live in? Is it someone else? Okay, here. I heard, I, I wish I'd written it down. I can't remember who it was, but it was a founder of one of the major social media 
companies. And they asked him about his children. He has young children. Do they have social media? He said, no, my kids would never have social media. They will never have social media until they're adults. This is a guy making billions of dollars off your kids. We were teaching me, and, and, and maybe a mom said, have you read the statistics on the rise of depression and suicide among young teenage girls? And do you realize the link is directly to social media? He said, when boys have a beef, they go punch each other or something. When girls have a beef, they talk trash about each other. And now we're handing them weapons to stab emotionally, to hurt others, and get hurt themselves 24-7. And they're not, they can't handle it. They're not ready for it. Boys, pornography. You want to be, you're a parent, you want to be freaked out? Look at, at the statistics, and some girls too now, of boys that look at pornography. It is not occasionally. It is almost universal. There are things available to them on their phone, on their screens, in their room that they can't handle. We need to take the screens away, but they might miss out. I hope they miss out on most of what's being offered on social media. We need to take the screens away. Be very careful. I'm not saying they can't research it. You be in the room. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm a grandpa. I don't have to figure it out. You do. I had a, I, I was still trying not to be preachy today, but I'm passionate about this. I had a grandpa come to me after last service. My 15-year-old granddaughter was on the screen, got lured out. An old man lured her to a place and abused her. He said, what you said today, it matters. And don't think it won't happen to you. And this guy's, this guy's a very accomplished guy. Finances are not an issue. His 15-year-old granddaughter, he said, what you said today, tell parents to don't think it won't happen. It will. You take control of this situation. You understand. If you don't believe me, start reading secular psychologists. I can give you books. They're realizing this is trash. Not only is it ruining attention spans, it is morally corrupting and exposing our children to things they're not ready for. They can't handle them. Parents, I, I, I started off last night by saying, Parents always have challenges. There's always challenges in life. But I have a sense that parenting today may be a skosh harder than it has been before. I'm sure there are times of war and famine that have been really difficult. But I think we don't understand the power of what's in children's hands these days. And I think parents need the wisdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the support of a Christian community to keep those kids from being damaged in ways that will, will, will affect them very long term. That's part of why I'm so passionate about it. Who's training your children and who's influencing your child? I had a, I had a conversation this week that, about this topic that we're talking about. I asked a group of people, all of which were younger than me, and uh, okay, most people are younger than me these days, and um, I said, growing up, uh, and I think, I think uh, um, most of the people in the room had grown up in church, uh, not everybody, I said, can you name other adults beside your family members um, who contributed in positive ways to your spiritual development? And in that room, they could not. I, I don't understand that. I grew up in a church, and even if I, I took a terrible left turn for a while in high school, but those same people helped draw me back. 
I can name them. I can, I can name Larry. I can name the guys who invested in me, even as a little kid who weren't my parents, who said the same kinds of things my parents said, but I could hear them. You know what I'm saying? I, so don't just be aware of your kids hanging out with bad kids because bad company corrupts good morals. It, it, it's true. But on a proactive, surround your kids with some other adults who know Jesus, who love God, who have strong convictions. Let them see that you're not the only one, right? So teach them. Don't outsource spiritual development of your children. You can outsource trigonometry. Who needs it anyway, but I'm just kidding. You can outsource piano, you can outsource it, but you cannot outsource teaching your children about the Lord. So remember Moses leads the children of Israel out of, out of slavery in Egypt. But the problem was he got them geographically moved. And so they were no longer in slavery, but slavery was still in them. Do you remember that where he said, let's go back to Egypt. Like the, the, the Israelites got all, it got hard and they wanted to go back to Egypt because they thought of themselves as slaves. And so Moses for a whole generation has to wander around the desert. Doesn't get to go to the promised land himself because there's still slavery in the mindset of the people, Right. He realized that they're going to have to think differently if they're going to be God's people and accomplish, go into the promised land, do everything God's called them to do. And in Deuteronomy, we find this. Uh, and by the way, if you've ever been on a plane, I was on a plane to Israel, and a bunch of guys jumped up and at a certain time, and they had this stuff wrapped, and they had this thing here, and they were Orthodox Jews, and they are doing their prayers. It comes from this. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land of the Lord, uh, in the land of the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. What he's saying is here, we already know that there are messages bombarding our children. There are all kinds of false narratives and false values being aimed at them. You need to counteract that by talking about the truth of God's word, the truth of what life looks like, the, your own experience, your own journey. When do you do it? You do it when you sit at home, when you're walking along, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. All the time, school is always in session for the spiritual development of your children. Let me just give you some, some hints here. Be more concerned with their faith than their financial future. Most Americans would say, what do they want for it? I want them to be happy. I'd like my kids to be happy. I'd rather them go to heaven. And if we have to choose, I'm going to choose heaven. Happy is temporary. It's circumstantial. Heaven is forever and it matters. Or what is your aspirations for your children? Oh, I want them to go to a certain school and get a certain job. I know rich people are nasty. Not all rich people. There are some. They can be rich and not be good human beings. Again, we need to think of the end first. Be more concerned with what you're putting in them than what you're leaving to them. How many guys who have achieved very well in life are distanced from their own children? Well, I'm going to leave them. Who cares? You know what they want? They want memories. They want memories of times when you were there for them. They want memories of times when you connected with them. They want memories of times when you got caught in the rain camping out there and, and, it, and everybody got soaked and it was awful. And it's one of your favorite stories. You'll tell it for the rest of your life because that's what your children need. They don't need your money. 
Matter of fact, the money's probably not even going to be good for him. That's a little counterculture, wasn't it? Look at that. Um, be more concerned with the eternal and the spiritual than anything else. It, it, let me just give you a practical thing. Uh, my grandson plays at uh, Friday Night Lights football. He's really good. I don't know where he got it from. Must have skipped a generation. <laughs> His other grandpa's actually really athletic. I think that's where it came from. But do you know they had to, uh, several teams had to forfeit um, on the parents' uh, teacher night at school? But not one team forfeited on Good Friday. Tell me about your priorities. Gripe about our society, but tell me about your priorities. The truth is we can't fix the world, but we can have better families. We can live differently. We can follow what God intends, not rules, but guidelines for being the family God created us to be and we want to be. We need to own that. So don't outsource spiritual development. Do raise children that love Jesus. That's incredibly valuable. So the first part is teaching. Another part of training up is discipline. Um, let me just uh, um, I'll tell you a story. I was at the airport early this week, and, um, and I'm sitting kind of facing, watching the plane come in and reading and and I hear a racket, and it's a kid having a meltdown. You know, you ever have your kid ever have a meltdown? It's always the most public place, right? Or on the way to church, either way. And, uh, and this kid's having a meltdown. Yeah, they'll get it under control. But, it, but 15 minutes later, it's going on. It's gotten worse. And not only is a three-year-old little girl running in front of the people trying to deplane and causing a big ruckus, she's yelling at her mom, and her mom is yelling at her. And I usually try to ignore those situations because I know that if I look, I will be tempted to do what that mother should be doing. And I could get arrested for spanking somebody else's kid. <laughs> and finally I looked over and I had a surprise emotion. It was compassion. I didn't want to judge that mom. That mom was so over her head. Not, not just in that moment, in life. I don't know if you've ever just looked at somebody and you can just tell they are just, she was yelling at this kid way too loud, way too upset. The kid was just being a kid, wandering off, needed to be brought back, needed a hug. It's going to be okay, honey, but you got to say it with me. It's all she needed. She didn't need to be harangued. She didn't need to be yelled at. We didn't have a big scene where hundreds of people, we didn't need any of that. And yet this mom, in my estimation, clearly couldn't manage anything else. It looked to me like life was just overwhelming for her. And I, I could describe for you why, but it's not important. She just, and I thought, I had this compassion because in a moment I thought, this little girl has no boundaries and no discipline. Because mom had no boundaries and no discipline. And this little girl's little girl is going to have no boundaries and discipline. And that's how we got where we are. I want her to take that little girl and hug her and say, your mommy loves you. She's just overwhelmed right now. Can we just sit here and play a game or do something? And I wanted to take that mom and I wanted to hug her, which really probably would have gotten me arrested. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to hug her and say, I don't know how you got here, but there's a way out. There's a way forward. There's a way that can be different. 
I, I know what was modeled for you is yelling and screaming and it doesn't need to be. Discipline isn't harsh. It's not awful. It's not mean. It is loving. Let me read you some passages. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children for in that there is hope. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. This little girl just wanted some attention. That's all she wanted. The only way she knew it to get it was the most inappropriate ways. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. <laughs> it's not going to kill your kid if you discipline them. For all the cool moms out there. We don't have any of those in our church. We meant that wasn't polite. I'll take that one. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom. But a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Let me give you five essentials of discipline quickly here. Draw clear lines. Your kids need to learn. Wouldn't it be weird if an adult sat down to color with their kids and just couldn't keep it inside the lines? I see people living their life like that every day. Teach your kids to color inside the lines. That's what boundaries are for. Are they going to push against them? Absolutely. Are they going to hate you when they're 13? Probably. If you're doing a good job, they probably are. Teach them to color inside the lines. Make the clear lines. Maintain consistent boundaries. It instills confidence. You imagine what it's like for a child to come home every day going, I wonder if mom's going to be in a bad mood. I don't want you. No. You know what we love about God? Yesterday, today, and forever, God is the same. You know what kids need from parents? Yesterday, today, and forever, mom is going to hold the line. Mom is going to be strict with me, and mom is going to love me unconditionally. And there will never be a day I walk in the door that won't be true, whether I'm 16 or I'm 60. That's what needs to happen. That's what God is with us. Present a united front, husband and wife. Well, what did your mom say? Put relational money in the bank. Keep it full. How do you do that? Time, quality and quantity time, time spent. You don't show up from work an hour a week and expect to get any, any kind of positive response when you try to discipline. But if you'll invest in that child, if you'll say, I'm sorry, when you mess up, yes, even to little children, they will see that you too are in process. And if you've invested, when it comes time to make a withdrawal through discipline, it'll be okay. Let me give you six disciplines of disciplining. Formation happens daily. You don't get to do this on the weekends. Your child is being formed and shaped by someone every day. Engage every day. Motivation, not humiliation. Find leverages, ways to reward your children. Yes, sometimes they have to be negative consequences, but never humiliate a child. Never, you're an awful kid. You're never going to amount to anything. Those voices will last the rest of their lives. I have seen adults, highly successful adults, still trying to defeat that voice and their parents are long dead. Do not humiliate your children. Motivate them. Find ways. Sometimes it's negative. Sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's both. Capitulation serves no one. Don't give up. Keep trying. Keep loving. Keep disciplining. If you quit, you will regret it later. Um, infraction appropriate discipline. The poor mom in the airport was just overreacting. The little girl just needed picked up. She needed hugged. She needed reprimanded. And then she needed to be directed to a new task. That's all that needed to happen. Yelling, screaming, making a scene. It wasn't necessary. Redemption, not retribution. Here's, here's what I love about my relationship with God. 
I now realize he doesn't just put up with me, he delights in me. And I realize that he doesn't just call me you awful, disgusting, deplorable sinner. He doesn't call me because I'm not that anymore. I am a forgiven person who is growing. And here's what happens when God works on my life. He doesn't go, you're a terrible person. He says, you know what? You made a bad choice right here. He puts a spotlight. He doesn't dump a fog of condemnation on me. He puts a, puts a spotlight of conviction on me because there's a way to win with that. I repent of that. I choose not to do that anymore with God's help. And I get to win. I get to be more like Jesus in that. But if God just said, you're an awful person, if you hear that voice in your head, that guilt in your head that you're an awful person, that's not from God. Christ didn't come to condemn the world. That's from another source. But if you hear a source in your mind going, you know that one thing right there? We ought to be fixing that. You know that thing over here? You ought to be fixing that. That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit trying to grow you. When we deal with our children, you're an awful kid. You're never going to, what are you doing? That's not how God treats you. Say, no, no, little Johnny, this thing here we did, when you hit your, when you hit your brother, it wasn't a good decision, was it? Now you're going to experience the consequence of that. But I love you, and we're going to grow beyond that. I told you you knew this stuff already. I'm just affirming what you're already doing. And then specification, not identification. Don't say you're an awful kid. Say you made a bad choice, and we're going to work on this. And then work on it. I have one minute left, and I have um, one more page. I'm going to give you a quote. If my family is not successful, then I'm not successful. You know who, that, you know who said that? Me. In some sermon notes I found from years ago. Because it doesn't matter how many people, and this is when our church is about 20 people. It doesn't matter how many people I t- speak to on the weekend. It doesn't matter how, much, how many buildings we have on our campus. If my family doesn't know and love Jesus, and we're not in unity with each other, then nothing else I did really mattered. Let me just say, you may not be famous for being a good parent. You may not get rich being a good parent. But you will honor God and you will never once regret that you put in the time and the energy that you followed his law you did what he called you to do. You took your responsibility seriously and saw it as a privilege. You'll never once regret having done that. Let me tell you about our world we live in. Our world we live in is a mess. And all the yelling and the screaming and even elections aren't going to fix all that. Do you know what I think the hope of the world is? I think it's the family of believers. And I think it's individual families of believers living differently. I think it's us having different kinds of kids, different kinds of aspirations, trying to live according to someone else's truth, God's truth, not our own, not somebody down the street, not somebody on TV. As we as Christians families raise our kids to honor God and we join together in the Christian family of the local church, that's how the world will get changed. And the world really needs a change. Let it begin with me. Let it begin with you. Let it begin with our families. Because that's what really matters. No matter what philosophy tries to tear it down and say it's not important anymore, it is. And we always know that. So why don't we allow God to empower us, to give us discernment and wisdom, and let's have great families. Let's just do that family thing the way God intended. And God will use that in our world. We have an opportunity Let's use the common sense that he gave us and let's do family better.
Let's pray. Lord God, you included us in your family. We are undeserving. We are sometimes non-contributing members. And yet you have such higher aspirations and intentions for us. You intend us to be a part of your family, a contributing, loving, wise part of your family. So today, Lord God, I pray for the families in this church. I pray for the moms who are exhausted because their toddlers are wearing them out and won't sleep at night. I pray that you give them rest. Lord God, for those who are raising uh, school children and, and just the busyness of the, of the schedule of, the, of school and activities, I pray that you would give them wisdom in what they need to invest themselves in and a deep, deep appreciation for the gift they've been given in those children. The parents of the teenagers who just have lost their child has become some kind of crazy person. Lord, give them, give them patience that this too will pass. Let them stay connected to those children. Let them pray over those children, Lord God. Let them believe the best for those children. And for all of us, Lord God, help us see how we can, whether we have children at home or not, be contributing members of this community supporting and encouraging families in any way we can. And we thank you for the privilege of doing so. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you so much for being here. The good news is God cares about your family and he will help you. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.